This week, I ran across an interesting story about Beethoven. I read that if he were playing in his home or in someone else's house for a small group, and if Beethoven sensed that the people weren't really interested in music, he would do a trick. He'd play some notes on the piano, some soft and beautiful notes, enough to almost lull the listeners to sleep. And then he would bring his whole forearm crashing down on the keys to wake everybody up. That kind of shock is what Jesus' words sound like today. If you will, open up your Bible to the New Testament, to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 12. And we'll begin at verse 49. Luke 12, 49. And Jesus says, I came to bring fire to the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. I have a baptism with which to be baptized, and what stress I am under until it is completed. Do you think that I have come to bring peace to the earth? No. I tell you, but rather division. From now on, five in one household will be divided. Three against two and two against three, they will be divided. Father against son and son against father. Mother against daughter and daughter against mother. Mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. He also said to the crowds, When you see a cloud rising in the west, you immediately say, It is going to rain. And so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say, There will be scorching heat. And it happens. You hypocrites. You know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time. The Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. As I read this text this week, I thought, who can I get to come preach for me? Because, I mean, where's the good news in this fire and division? What is Jesus even saying here? And is he angry with me? If we're honest, this doesn't even sound like Jesus. And this is in Luke, my favorite gospel. One of the most beautiful books ever written. Because Luke is all about peace and reconciliation. In Luke 2, when Jesus is born, we hear that he's the Savior for all the people. As we read his life, we see him heal people, and he sends them forth in peace. And after he is resurrected from the dead, Jesus gives his disciples a word of peace. And so this paragraph about fire and division, it seems strange and almost scary. So what does Jesus mean? This fire 
Jesus is calling for. It's not about anger. It's not wrath. This isn't Sodom and Gomorrah fire. No, this goes back to Luke 3.16. In Luke 3.16, that's where John the Baptist says, I baptize you with water, but there's coming one after me, someone who is greater than I am, who will baptize you with Holy Spirit and fire. And this baptism of fire that Jesus says He has to undergo, this is Jesus knowing He is on His way to Jerusalem. And it's going to see Him nailed to a cross. Remember, when we talk about baptism, it's about us dying to ourselves and going into the water and then coming up as new, as new creations, having new life. Because after Jesus' death on the cross, He offers us new life. And what Jesus is saying here is there is pain on the cross and there's pain on the way to the cross. The heart of what Jesus is saying here is that a crisis is coming. And it brings a challenge of loyalty. You can be loyal to the kingdom of God or you can be loyal to the kingdoms of this earth and Jesus is saying that once that message gets into houses there will be no peace the families will split up over it just as the prophets had foretold this warning about fathers and sons and mothers and daughters and so on it's a reference to Micah chapter 7, verse 6. Micah 7, 6. And that's a passage where the prophet warns of imminent crisis. And he preaches that the only way forward is complete trust in God. Jesus sees this crisis coming. A crisis where his own life will be the issue. He calls it a baptism. What's he referring to? His death. Jesus sees that he's on the way to the cross. And he's astonished that almost nobody else sees that it's coming. And Jesus sees that Israel, if she doesn't change, is going to fall. And he's dismayed that almost nobody else sees that it's coming. And then he says that these people are so good at predicting the local weather. When you see a cloud rising in the west, you immediately say, it's going to rain. And it does. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say it's going to be a hot day. And it is. So why can't they look at all that is going on around them? Rome is in charge. That ain't a good thing. Herod, the man in charge, is oppressive. The high priests are getting rich from being involved with that foreign government. And they're becoming arrogant. Oh, and the Pharisees are pushing their agenda that's focused more on law than on people. 
And standing in the middle of all of that is a young man, a young prophet saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. He's announcing God's kingdom. He's healing the sick. His message is bursting in with the love and the power of God. He's healing and rescuing and recreating people. So why can't they put it all together and realize this is the moment that Israel has been waiting for? This is the moment that all Israel's history has been pointing to. Why can't they see this? Why can't they see the crisis that's coming? Because if they can't draw the right conclusions, they must be blind. And those who rejected Jesus' message would come into increasing conflict with Rome. A conflict where there could only be one winner. Not because Rome is so strong, but because Israel would be fighting without the support of her God. Because she didn't listen to His messenger. And Jesus is urging His listeners to be the people of God. He's calling them to a way of living that means peace. A way of living that means justice. And to reject his message was to choose the way of self-destruction. As we read the story of Scripture, we see from the very first pages that Israel was supposed to be the light of the world, the nation to bless all others. But at this time, they're hungry for a violent uprising against Rome. And in A.D. 70, Israel and her temple came crashing down. So in reading the signs of the times, the greatest blessing, the cross and the resurrection, was just around the corner. And in reading the signs of the times, the greatest disaster Israel ever knew, her fall, and the destruction for temple just around the corner. So in reading the signs of the times, the greatest blessing and the greatest disaster ever known were both just around the corner. But we're here, 2,000 years later. So what does this mean for us? There's not an easy answer. It requires work. And unless we, unless we understand the crisis facing Israel in Jesus' day, and the way that Jesus responded to it, we won't understand what Jesus thought of His own death. From the early years of the church, the church has read this chapter as a warning that each generation must read the signs of the times 
That means that we must be aware, we must be awake, and we must be mindful of the great movements of people and governments and nations and policies and react accordingly. If the kingdom of God is to come on earth as it is in heaven, like we pray every Sunday, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. That means part of the role of the church is to be prophetic. Being prophetic doesn't mean predicting future events. Being prophetic means speaking God's truth to the world. That means that we have to be aware of what's happening. And we have to be willing to respond and address those issues with the message of the gospel. Is August. Do you remember what was happening two years ago? In August 2017, Brian McLaren received an invitation to go to Charlottesville, Virginia to pray for those protesting against the KKK and neo-Nazis. He went there to stand with the community and other preachers and community leaders to say, we stand for peace and we stand against hate and evil and injustice. But Brian didn't tell his wife or anyone else that he was going. And he said it was one of the scariest moments of his life to be standing in America and to see people with guns and Nazi flags. A few weeks after that event, he was back at his home church, a big church, and the senior pastor in his sermon just made a mention that Brian had been in Charlottesville as part of the clergy response. It was just a passing remark. That's all that it was. And as soon as the service was over, an older gentleman got right in Brian's face and he said, I don't respect what you did. I think you were wrong to do that. And he chewed Brian out in the aisle of the church. That's division. And if, like Jesus, we find that we're bringing division and that we're caught up in the crisis. So be it. Following the way of Jesus is not a way out of conflict, but it will lead into conflict. Now to be clear about this, Jesus doesn't desire conflict, but He sees the inevitability of it. You can be loyal to the kingdom of God or you can be loyal to the kingdoms of this earth. And in that, there is an inevitability of conflict. And he wants to prepare his disciples for it. This is the Gospel of Luke. Do you remember Luke 15? Where we have the greatest short story ever written about when the prodigal son came home. It's a beautiful story about grace and forgiveness and reconciliation. But did you ever notice how it ends? 
It ends in division. Did you get that? Sometimes reconciliation brings division. Because the father forgives and accepts the younger son back, but the story ends with the older son outside the party. It's a beautiful story. But it ends with a divided family. And as we pay attention to what Jesus says about family, we see that Jesus continually calls us to go beyond our family and into the family of God. He calls us to a radical love of God and neighbor. I once heard one of our bishops reference a great preacher from another generation. And that preacher said, I don't see how you attract people to the Christian faith by appealing to their basic selfishness and self-centeredness and end up with the religion of Jesus. Jesus just doesn't do that sort of thing. The hard truth that we hear in today's lesson is that Jesus didn't come to validate our way of life and our societal values. Because society has a way of seeking unity in a way that favors the rich and powerful. And it comes at the expense of those who are powerless and thought to be expendable. But Jesus' mission of compassion and mercy and justice, it shatters the status quo. The great author C.S. Lewis says that the Christian faith is a thing of great comfort. But it doesn't begin in comfort. It begins in discomfort. And there's no way to get to the comfort without first going through discomfort. Yes, Jesus will eventually pronounce peace on his followers. But not before he walks a narrow way to the cross and suffers and dies in the middle of great conflict. There's something about the way of Jesus that leads to peace. But it goes through disruption and discomfort. Sometimes we're like the people in the house listening to Beethoven. We get too comfortable. We get cozy. We almost fall asleep. Because we have this tendency to skip over these passages that speak about judgment and warnings and demands for holiness. Maybe there are times when we need the crash of Jesus' words to wake us up. So that when we feel insecure, we find our security in Him and in Him alone. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.